0: of Ecclesiastes. Today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Yes, I know Ecclesiastes goes for longer than that, but uh, I wanted to break it up into three parts. So the first part uh, was uh, work, and then um, wisdom, and then today we're talking about worship. So if you find your way to Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, that's our anchor text for this morning, as we kind of go to other places, okay? As you're finding your way there, or if you want to look this up later uh, to hear it again or to share it with somebody or whatever, the title is going to be Meaningless Worship. Well, I want to describe something to you and have you think in your mind, okay, what is this that Pastor is describing? You ready? So, people come into a building at a certain time. Upon entering the building, there is sometimes someone who greets them. Sometimes not. While people come in, they usually enter into a, uh, a larger room with lots of seats, and they find a seat in that room. In this room, everyone usually faces the same direction. And in that direction, sometimes there is a stage. Someone will come out on the stage at a set time and greet everyone and thank them for coming, and may or may not have a few quick announcements. Then the people who are seated will usually hear some singing and music and speaking or any combination of those things. And finally, at the end of this event, people will file out of this big room back into like some of the smaller rooms and, and, and they will go out to eat with their friends who may have also came or they'll go home and they will talk about what they just experienced. Okay. So I want you to be thinking, what is that that I'm describing? Let's pray. God of Abraham. God of Isaac, God of Jacob, you are Alpha and Omega. You are over all things, and there is none like you. Therefore, we proclaim your worth of our worship. You are worthy of praise, of our affection, and our attention. However, because of our sinful natures, we often are distracted by other things. We are distracted by our work, our play, and yes, even distracted from you by religion itself. We confess that our hearts are drawn to checking boxes of obedience rather than checking hearts for contrition. God, we thank you, therefore, O Father, that you are patient and understanding with us, that you, because of your great love, wanted to be with us so much that you sent your Son to bring us to yourself, knowing that left alone, we would never have come to you. Grant us your Spirit, in ever greater measures that we might engage in worship that is pleasing to you as well as beneficial to us. Keep us from having our worship become meaningless. Teach us what that means this day as we look at Ecclesiastes this morning. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. So as we go through this text, if you're a note taker, here's the first point that I want to share with you is listen up. And I don't just mean to me, although I do mean to me. What I, what I ultimately mean is not to me, because who am I? It doesn't really matter what I say. It matters what God's word says. And so that's what I want for you to listen to this morning. I just happen to be the guy who's talking about it today, okay? So as we do this, listen up. And I'm Getting that, of course, from uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verse 1, here, where it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So again, if you're a note-taker, the first thing I have there for you, the first question is, why should we guard our steps when we go to the house of God? What's well, a great question. I think the answer to that really is, who is God. Uh, that's what he's talking about here. Now remember who it is who's writing this, right? In the, in the context of the scripture, he keeps referring himself to the preacher, the preacher, the preacher, right? Uh, I believe it's King Solomon. Uh, if you were here when we started this whole thing, then you know why I think that. Uh, if you read through it yourself, and I would encourage you to, it's, I think it's only 12 chapters. It might be 13, but I think it's only 12 chapters. You you can read through that yourself in a day or so, and you can get your own understanding of, of why that might be. But Solomon, the wisest man who's ever been, who's his daddy? His daddy was David, right? So I'm sure that Solomon grew up hearing from David, hearing David sing songs and sing praises to the Lord. He has some theology, and so he writes this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Why? Because who is God? You know, so often, myself included, so often, I do not have the high view of God that He deserves. In our culture today, God has become a genie or a grandfather in the sky or a a homeboy. Uh, our co pilot, right? But well, you have to remember, who is God? He is the creator. He spoke, and it was. And, and people, uh, I was about to go into a rabbit trail. Talk to me later about uh, evolution and trying to force that into Scripture and, like, justify those things, because I, uh, I understand science. But I, if I have to put my money anywhere, it's going on the Bible, okay? And, and we, can, we can square those things, uh, I think, very logically, Okay? Anyway, side note. Um, God is the creator. In the garden, he came down from heaven to, to be with Adam and Eve. He made them to have relationship with him. But we also we have to remember that this is the God who slings the stars into the heavens, who who because of him quasars exist. I, I mean, I, I told this to, when I was down in Kentucky years ago, I was pastoring for, the, it was a smaller group called College and Career, which is exactly what you might sound. Young people of the age of college or career, so they don't have to be in college, but that's the age, right? And so uh, very often people would meet there, and then they'd get married, and then they'd go on to some other thing or whatever, and so I was, I was dealing with, it, with a lot of that stuff. And one of the things that I told them in classes, is, I, and, 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 I, and I, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to spend time, some time, and don't, don't do it in your house. Go out into the woods somewhere, turn your cell phone on vibrate, right? Or something like that. Leave your cell phone in the car. Let people know where you are, right? But just go out, have some silence and some solitude, and just contemplate God's vastness. Unsearchable. I mean, the largesse and the gravity of who God is. And we so flippantly come before him, even on Sunday mornings. And I'm guilty of that too. And, and, And actually probably more guilty than you. Because I'm the one who's preaching. I'm the one who's expositing God's word. And yet I have the gall to come before you and not consider the gravity of our God. So why do we guard our steps when we come into the house of worship? Because of who God is. I mean, think about it. He was, he cast sin out. Sin can't be in his presence. Adam and Eve, they were, they were out of his presence. And then Moses, take your shoes off because the very ground that you're at is Holy. Solomon builds this temple. And it's ornate. If you've ever read about... You, you know, a lot of times we get through places like you know, Leviticus or Numbers, and we get to these places where we're like, man, this is boring. And I, I, I get that. I suffer from that too. I, I do, I do. But what I try to remind myself, and what you should remind yourself of, is, this is all here for a reason. God recorded this for... For us, for a reason. One of the things I think that some of these things are recorded for us is so we can try to imagine the opulence of this temple that God, that Solomon built for God. It talks about things that are made of cedar and that they're overlaid with gold, and then there's these and there's these ornate carvings that people are doing to this thing. And so, if we were to have, if we, I think, if we were to be there and see it we would understand to be like, oh yeah, we totally got to record what this thing looks like for people to know the opulence of this temple that Solomon did, right? And so, so Solomon did this, but then all of that finds its culmination, doesn't it, in Jesus, the very son of God himself, God in the flesh, who then came down, emptied himself to live life, fully human, yet without sin, and who went through all of the things so he could relate to us only for the fact, so that, how we began this, so that he could bring you to himself, because he knew if he left you, you would never come to him. That's why we guard our steps when we go into the house, so we have to listen up. Secondly, what you might be asking based on this text is, okay, so, but what is the sacrifice of fools, and how can I avoid that? Because, pastor, okay, fine, you've made a good case for that, I I hope, and it's not me, it's Solomon who's making this case. Guard your steps and don't make the sacrifice of fools. How can we not do that? Because I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? I want to guard you from doing that because I love you. So I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. How do we guard ourselves? And what is this? Well, if we think about the formal system of approaching God in the Old Testament, what does it look like? You've got to be pure, you've got to be clean, and we're not just talking about fresh clothes and your hair did, okay? What we're talking about is you have to bring some kind of a sacrifice. They would bring bulls or rams or lambs or pigeons or food offerings, and so those things would be made on their place, and if you think about how the curtain was, right, and, and I think this is part of the reason why churches are kind of set up this way, right? So you have, uh, if you can picture the temple or the, the tabernacle or whatever just like this, okay, you'd have like... The Holy of Holies, this would be up here, right? And then there'd be a curtain, so you guys can't come in there. But you guys are all priests. The Bible says we're all priests. And, and so uh, the, the other stuff would take care of uh, out there. Only once a year, you'd come, one of you would, would come back here and we'd do that. And then there's the outer court uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the women, right? And then there's the outer, outer court, which is the outside for Gentiles. So if you think of this building that way, it could be set up that way. But this old sacrificial system, There's historically foolish sacrifices that take place. The very first of all of what I would would call as foolish sacrifices happened with Cain and Abel, didn't it? One of them gave a sacrifice that God was happy with, and the other did not. And what was it about that that made it a foolish sacrifice? Another one that happened is in Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, Nadab and Abihu. There was a certain way that we were supposed to do things in the temple before God, Nadab and Abihu thought, you know, we don't really have the right stuff or we don't want to get too much work to go get the right stuff, so here's what we'll do. We'll do this instead because technically we're still, I mean, we're still, you know, we're still lighting incense. We're still doing this thing, so surely it doesn't really matter. It's like, no, no, no. God had it written out, and so that was a foolish sacrifice, and they paid the price for that. Cain paid the price for that. But another way that we do sacrifice of fools Because when we approach, he says, again, guard your steps when you go to the house of God by not guarding ourselves. You know, sometimes I think we come to church to bribe God. Now, we we don't think of it that way necessarily on the Sundays that we come. But there's a level of our heart that thinks that sometimes, isn't there? God, why, like, why, why is this happening? I, I mean, I, the Pharisees said the same thing also, didn't they? God, I thank you that I'm not like this man. Uh, I mean, I tithe regularly. I fast. I, I, have, I have, you know, I do all the things. I've got scripture memorized. I pray three times a day. I read my Bible. i do all those things. Sometimes I think that we think that when we come to church regularly that he owes us then something. And so we actually come with a foolish offering of saying, hey, I'm paying my dues to be part of the club so that I can get the benefits later. Or if it's not a bribe, then maybe we just think of it's just a duty. Why are you here this morning? I'm here because grandma came to this church and because mom came to this church. And so therefore, I come to this church. Well, of course I'm a Christian. Grandma was a Christian. Mom was a Christian. And so, yeah, of course I'm a Christian those are sacrifices of fools. To think that God wants just sheer duty, to think that we can somehow buy off this divine creator to have a put in those chips so we can cash those chips out later. In this commentary exalting Jesus in Ecclesiastes, he writes, it is possible for people to show up for worship week after week, year after year, decade after decade, but their lives are not really changed. They are still cruel to others, harsh to their spouse, perverted in their jokes, indifferent towards their children, just as they've always been. I think I have the scripture up there. I, I, my clicker's not working, so 1 Samuel 15, 22, is that up there? Yeah. And, and Samuel said, has the Lord... As great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Now, we went through First Samuel here uh, last year or the year before. And, and So I know it's been a while, but in the context of this, and, and maybe you remember this, King Saul, this great, nice-looking dude, was elected to the position because he was a nice looking dude, really. And so King Saul was there. He was told, Hey, you've got to you've got to destroy this nation because they're they're evil and they're wicked, devote everything to destruction, keep nothing. And what did he do? He didn't do that, right? And he's like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I was keeping these I was keeping these good ones wa- and and we know, because we have the 30,000 foot view, we're like, no, you weren't. Don't, don't lie, Saul. But Samuel comes to him and he says, hey, what, what are you doing with all these? And he's like, well, I was, I was keeping these as burnt offerings. And Samuel's point was, that's not what God said. You think he wants the offering that he, he literally told you, bro, kill everything. And your response is, yeah, but we're not gonna do that. And, and instead, we're gonna give you these offerings because I, I just wanna be real holy to you. And Samuel's like, No, what didn't you understand? So the first thing, the sub point of listen up is, is this, is this. No, wrong, sorry, go back. I didn't have that slide. Here's what it is, I I, I forgot this slide. So if you're a note taker, here's the question. Are you here to hear from God? So guard your steps when you come into the house of God and ask yourself, firstly, am I here to hear from God? Or are you here out of duty? You know, just religion, this is what we do. Or are you here to bribe God? Hey, if I do this, I know that he's going to have favor on me. Because in some instance, coming to church can be a work that we try to boast in, right? Right? But even coming to church is not what saves you. That's no works that no one shall boast. So, firstly, listen up. Secondly, uh, blanks here. Are you here to hear from God? Next point in, in Ecclesiastes. Let's see if my clicker works. Okay, watch what you say. This is in Ecclesiastes 5, 2 through 3. Now, watch what you say. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 through 3 says, Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Watch what you say. First question I had from the text that maybe you have too. What does it mean to be rash with my mouth before God? Well, again, if we start out the way that we started out the last one, remember who it is who you're speaking to. Matthew 6, 7 through 8, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, the reason that the Gentiles were doing this goes back to kind of, kind of similar things, either religion or, uh, I'm sorry, duty or bribery. And that plays through with what we say too. We just sang five songs. I don't know if you were keeping track. I was because I was playing them. We just sang five songs. Were you actually thinking about the words that you were saying while you were saying them? Or were we just, hey, it's Sunday. We, all the ki- we, we made it. I've had my coffee. Pastor made us greet each other, hated that. It's time for us to sing. And so now we're going to stand and we're going to mindlessly just sing. And then, and then now we're going to get to the message. Now we're going to hear from God. Now we're gonna get our hearts right before the Lord. Now we're gonna listen, and now we're gonna speak to God. Brother or sister, it shouldn't be that way. What does it mean to be rash with my mouth before God? We all think, you all thought, I thought, when I first, like, yeah, I know what that means. That means don't use God's name in vain, right? That means don't talk to my wife the way I shouldn't talk to her. That means don't talk to my kids the way I shouldn't talk to them. That means don't have coarse jesting or things like that. But you know what it also means? It also means praying flippantly. Praying thoughtlessly. I, I, I hope, I hope in your house that you give thanks to God in some form before you eat every single meal. I, I hope that's the case. I think that's right to do, right? Whether you eat or drink, anything you do, do all things to the glory of God. We ought to thank the Lord who every day, day give me my daily bread, right? I mean, we ought to do that but I've heard from some of you and I know from history and we, we see this on TV and we laugh about it or whatever. If your thanksgiving before something like that is so rote that you, you might as well say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen, let's eat. You, you know what I mean? I mean, and, and, and I hope that that offends you this morning because, because it ought to because that rote prayer that you're not thinking about is offensive to God. And so we ought to watch what we say as we enter in, because here's the other thing. He's not, so Solomon was talking about in his day coming into an actual physical building. When you come into Allegheny Bible Church, think about those things. No, no, no. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. So they do these things. These Gentiles would heap up these mindless phrases as a means to manipulate. But Jesus told us we have nothing to barter with. In their mind, it was as if, right, Zeus is up there and he's asleep because he had too much fun with Bacchus the night before. And so because Zeus is asleep up there, we've got to just chant and chant and chant and chant. And we've got to be Zeus's alarm clock for him to wake up and then give us rain for our crops. And God says, or Jesus says, don't, what, what are you doing? God hears everything you say anyway. God hears everything you think anyway. So guard what it is that you're saying because, why? He says right here, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Understand your position and place before a holy, mighty God. So next question, what does it mean to let my words be few? Does it just mean stop talking so much? No what it means, and he kind of teases this out here. He says, uh, basically, and now I'm going to paraphrase. So this is John's translation. The more you talk, the more likely your words are to be rash. Can any extroverts give me an amen? amen. Yeah. Uh, Or or, or can any of us who who verbally process give me an amen, right? Or or can any of us who battle with anger give me an amen? Because sometimes those words, I was just at somebody's house yesterday, matter of fact, so I'm going to steal from them. Hopefully they'll watch online and they'll get a kick out of this. I was just at somebody's house the other day, and they were talking about uh, uh, pastors who use like physical illustrations for things. And there was this one pastor who did this, and it really stuck out to her. And I said, I'm not, I'm not crafty enough to come up with that. So you guys don't get that from me. I'm sorry. But, uh, but visually, I think I can paint an okay picture. So here's the picture that she said that worked for her. The uh, thing of toothpaste, she had all the kids. They were, they were, no, she didn't. She was at a church, and the pastor had all the kids come up. And he was like, oh, here's some toothpaste. Here's what we're going to do as a plate. We're going to squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube. Now here, who, who thinks they can put all this toothpaste back in the tube? And then his point was, this toothpaste isn't going back in the tube, and that's just like the words that come out of our mouth. And so she said, that stuck with me forever. And so now, when I talk a certain way to my husband, after it's out of my mouth, I say, toothpaste, you know? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So what it means is, well, let your words be few does not mean just stop talking. Now, for some of us, That might be what that means. Stop talking so much. But what that really means, what he's getting at here is, here, look, the more that you are speaking, the more likely they are to be rash. He says, for when dreams comes, there's much business, and a fool's voice, there's many words. They pour out of their face constantly. How are you going to avoid rash speaking then? So the questions I have as we fill in these blanks, so watch what you say. Why are you saying the things that you're saying? How dare you see another Christian or a friend and you tell them, hey, I'll pray for you. And then you don't. You know, that's recorded. One day you'll answer for that. And that's not even a cuss, right? But I believe he will say, so you said you'd pray for them. What happened there? Better not to speak at all. And that's what he's about to say here in just a minute. Better not to speak certain things at all than to end up biting you in the butt later. So here's, if you're a note taker, here's the actual blank for you. So watch what you say. The secondary blanks are, are you seeking to talk with God or just at him? Because I think sometimes our worship can be that. And, and, and I'm even using worship wrongly according to this message this morning. So please forgive me for that. Because what we're doing right now is worship. Do you know that? But sometimes we say, oh, it's just our, just our worship team. That's, that's worship. Singing songs, that's worship. And everything else we do, that's just the rest of service. No, no, no. Are we seeking to talk with God or just at him? Uh, third section in Ecclesiastes that I see here about how to make worship meaningful. Do what you say. Do what you say. So listen up, watch what you say, then do what you say. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 6 says this, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So, after reading this, my first question, what I want to cover with you is what does it mean to make a vow to God? What does that, what does that look like, right? Exalting Jesus in Ecclesiastes writes this. Vows were pledges... Worshippers would make to God as part of the offering or sacrifice process. The vow was made so that God might answer a specific request. One example is in Numbers 21, 2 through 3, which is not on your screen. I've got another one here that I want to share with you in a minute. Numbers 21, 2 through 3, Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over to the, the, the Canaanites. And they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. Here's another, and this is, Here's a famous vow. You ready? 1 Samuel 1.11 says this. Hannah, it says she, but I'm going to fill in the blanks for you. Hannah vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And of course, then Samuel was born and Samuel, the book, Of which this is written about was in the prophet with King Saul and that whole thing. And so Hannah made this vow and kept this vow. I don't know about you, but there was a time in my past where I was. uh, We don't have junior church today. I'll just put it to you this way. There's times in my life where I've tried to make a vow. God, if you just do X, then I promise I'm going to do Y. And you don't have to say if you've done that or not, but I'm just guessing in a room this size, there's a couple of us in here. That's kind of what American Christianism has become. If you just sow a seed today, if you just trust God with faithfulness for $500 a day, he says it will not return to you void. He will press it down and it will be in abundance. And I don't know why this is a Southern preacher, but it just happens to be in this illustration. And so if you will sow this seed, he will bless you. He says, be joyful in your giving. And so all that stuff, it's like, okay, fine. That's, that's true, but you're ripping that out of context and you're using this as bribery. And you're saying, hey God, I'm gonna sow this seed And I'm gonna do X so that you're gonna do Y. Or the other way that we tend to make vows is with people, meaning well towards them. And we offend God because what we're doing is, this is an image bearer, whether Christian or not, this is somebody who God deeply loves. And we've made a vow, we've made a promise The biggest one is marriage, isn't it? Where we make a covenant before God. We make a covenant with someone else. And so the danger for them then is the same danger as it is now. If you've not read through the book of Judges, that book is amazing. It's it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And there's a story in there that's, that's terrible. Jephthah, goes out to war, says, if you deliver us, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'm gonna dedicate as a burnt offering to you. He comes home, you know what the first thing that comes out of his house is? His only daughter. Now scholars try to get out, they, they try to dodge and they try to say, yeah, so she was, she was just given over and she became basically like the first nun. She was, she was dedicated to, the God, to God and she just never got married and she just lived as a nun. And I'm like, no, bro, the Bible says Jephthah fulfilled his vow. What was his vow? His vow was the first thing that comes to my house, I'm going to give you as a burnt offering, which means that Jephthah burned his daughter. That's in the Bible. So let me ask you this question, second question. So, So what does it mean to make a vow to God? Secondly, did you make a vow? Why did you make that vow? And have you paid that vow? Or what's stopping you? Because he says, don't say when the messenger comes, it was a mistake. And this again happened with the Pharisees, right? I promise, I promise that when your husband dies, the church is going to take care of you, Widow Smith, you know, and they shake hands. And then the husband dies, and Widow Smith comes to the Pharisee. And they said, my husband has died, now can you take care of us? He says, well, I would love to do that. But the problem is, is I guaranteed you based on the temple, not on the gold that is on the temple. You see, and so this is, there's a little bit of a gray area here, and so we can't actually fulfill that because the covenant, it wasn't really binding because of the gold thing. You see, my hands are kind of tied here. It wasn't a mistake. For example, when I was doing whatever I was doing, and I said, hey God, if you do X, then I'm gonna do Y and I didn't do Y, if God came to me and he said, hey, so did you make that by mistake? The answer, in in truth, is uh, no. I did it rashly and flippantly and and with lack of follow-through, yes. But at the time that I made that vow, I believed that that I, that I, I meant that. Hey, God, I really need X. So if you do X, I'll do Y. And God did X, and Y didn't happen. And I said, oh, it was a mistake. I just thought rashly. So there's a saying. It's not a very spiritual saying. And so I'm going to change it a little bit. But the saying goes, don't let your mouth write a check that your body can't cash. And that's what this is talking about in part. Acts 5, 1 through 11, a famous part of this. Perhaps you know it if you've been in church for any length of time or if you've heard these kind of stories. There was a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Need I say more? I, I will. So they sold some land and they were going to give it to the church and they kept some of it and they lied to the church about it and so God killed them. That's the story. And the part of the story was he didn't understand, he was like, it was your land. It was your land. You sold it and you wanted to bring it. You could have kept all of it. We didn't require. it's not like the, like they're strong-arming them out of their land. You could have done whatever you wanted but the point was you made a vow to give all this and then you lied to God about it and so it says fear came upon everybody, yes. So, do what you say. Ready? Here's the sub point of do what you say. Are you here to bless God or so that God might bless you? Because believe it or not, Sundays. Now now don't get me wrong. It is my goal every single Sunday to give y'all something. But the main thing that we should be doing here is not coming to get, but coming to bring. That's what the Sabbath is supposed to be. So we can have all of our attention and our focus and our energies and our finances of that to focused on the one who is worthy of praise. Worthy is the Lamb. So last, right? The whole point of all of this, the whole point of all of this is really to move us from vanity to reverence. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes, remember? So summing everything up, he's like, I've been super rich. I've been super wise. I've had tons of pleasure. I've had tons of food. I've had tons of experience. I've traveled. I've had menageries of animals. I've had relationships. I've had all those things. And all of this is vanity. And so what he's trying to do is to get to us. And and here's the rub. He didn't know about Jesus when he was writing this. He knew that there was going to be a deliverer, I believe, for Israel overall. But to move us from vanity to reverence, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 5.7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity but God is the one you must fear. And then in closing out his book, Ecclesiastes 12:13, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So if God, if Solomon, if I, if we want to move from vanity to reverence, what does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean the same thing as you fearing to get a ticket. It doesn't mean the same thing as you fearing to lose like a fist fight. It doesn't mean the same thing as fearing right before you jump out of that airplane, hoping the parachute was packed correctly. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is reverence and awe. Again, I go back to how we started this. How big is God in your heart, in your mind? Do you understand who it is? And the answer is no, we can't. But are you seeking to try to grow in your understanding that he is in heaven and I am here on earth? He created all things. I am but created. I, he has all power, omnipotent power, omniscient power, all of those things. And I have limited, finite, short-sighted ability in my own life. I have no power to even create gray hairs or brown hairs, he has power to give life and to take it. Are we remembering these things? That's what it means to fear God. We have a hard time understanding this concept in the culture that we live in where there is no more reverence for authority. Uh, There is no longer uh, this approach in parenting, in teaching, or coaches. We no longer approach them with respect. The lack of respect and honor has bled over into these new casual Christianity where Jesus is our co-pilot, not our Lord. He is not any longer in our minds a formidable king and an awe-inspiring sovereign master. So if you're a note-taker, the only way that we can approach this holy God is through a sacrifice. Sacrifice through the old Jewish sacrificial system that has now been done away with by the spotless lamb, the once and for all lamb of God, the spotless lamb, who was shed, who was broken, who was beaten. We just celebrated the Lord's supper last Sunday. His body, his blood was the atonement, the, the covering over that, that allowed God to forgive our sins. Hebrews twelve twenty five says, "'See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much, uh, much less will they escape if they reject him who warns from heaven? And then he goes on in 12. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken unless let us uh, offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So in closing as we, I hope, are moving from vanity to reverence, uh, I want to ask you this final question. If you're a note taker, are you bringing God your heart or are you just coming out of habit? So I want to describe this scene to you again. Here's the scene. People come into a building at a certain time. Upon entering the building, there is someone sometimes who greets them and sometimes not. When the people come in to that building, then they leave the initial room and they enter into usually a a larger room with lots of seats and they find a seat in that room. In this room, everyone usually faces the same direction and in that direction, sometimes there is a stage. Someone will come out on the stage at a set time and greet everyone, thank them for coming, and may or may not have a few quick announcements. Then the people who are seated will usually hear some singing and or some music and or some speaking. Finally, at the end of this event, people will file out of the big room and sometimes they will go out to eat with friends who also came or they will go home and talk about what they just experienced. What am I describing? You might say a church service what i'm actually describing is a run of the mill high school thea theola- a production theater. theater maybe a musical maybe a play maybe a talent show the reason i started that is because i hope that your experience this morning here is far different than what i just described because if your experience today was like what i just described then today's message i think was for you and for me and for the church let's pray God our Father in heaven bring us back to a heart of worship help us to bring our hearts before you that our worship would not be meaningless but it would be meaningful that we would mean what we say that we would mean what we do that we would mean for having unity and gathering together that we would be purposeful and purpose-driven in our worship of you and that it would have purpose, which is to actually bring you worship. We thank you that you are patient and that you are wise and that you have covered over a multitude of sins, even the sins that our hearts commit in the very act of attending a Sunday service. We praise you, God, for your goodness and faithfulness to us in all things. And it's in your name that we pray that you would continue to grow us in these areas because we know that you're worthy. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.